If you will, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Our passage this evening is Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. And I want to just begin by reading that, and then uh, we'll take off from there. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. And then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Tonight my topic is the balancing act, and I'm just going to go ahead and just let you know up front that uh, I do not have this mastered yet. The idea of being able to balance so many things. As a matter of fact, um, this past October, as John mentioned, that we have just uh, recently uh, finished the work at Chapel Hill and begun working with Graymere. Um, right at that time, also, I had the opportunity to start teaching at uh, CA the first two periods of the day. And, uh, and so the idea of balancing time to me uh, has now become a challenge all over again. Um, for the time, for the majority, well, for the entire school year, uh, driving back and forth in the mornings. There were some, some days where I was literally in Columbia from 7 o'clock in the morning, 7.30 in the morning till about 10 or 10.30 at night. And, uh, and you start wondering to yourself, am I going to be able to make it? Um, so I just say that up front to let you know that I'm not speaking to you as an expert tonight, but one who is also still trying to learn how to balance time. Learning how to balance time when it comes to our faithfulness with the Lord, uh, our faithfulness with our spouses and our children, when it comes to our jobs and our, and our, our sports and, and, and our friendships and all the things that we have going on, how do you balance those things in such a way to make the most of your time um, and to walk the way the Lord wants us to walk? I want us to begin um, really at just kind of trying to understand a little bit of what our time looks like in life. I found this several years ago, and uh, I think you'll appreciate it. I don't know if you can see it really well, so I'll try to read it and, uh, and help you understand a little bit what's going on. But this is your countdown of life, okay? Somebody apparently had all the time in the world uh, to, to sit around and try to figure out how much time it takes to do everything you do um, throughout the span of your life. And, uh, and here's what they come up with. When you're born, you apparently have, and on average, of course, about 78 years, uh, 78 to 80 years of life, okay? Um, obviously, I think that lifespan is beginning to, uh, to get longer these days with the medicine and technologies, but let's just say you have 78 years of life. For about a third of that time, you are sleeping, all right? Now, I would assume that that's probably an average of eight hours a night. Uh, some like their sleep a little bit more than others. If I had 12 hours a night, uh, you could just go ahead and count off about 50% of my life, but that's not the way it works, okay? I know some people who don't sleep hardly at all, and so obviously that's going to fluctuate, but if you get about eight hours of sleep a night, that's going to leave you with 49 waking years. What are you going to do at that time? Well, the United States mandates, and the state of Tennessee mandates, that we get a certain amount of education. All right. Whether you like it or not, you're going to spend about 31,000 hours of studying or in, or in class, and that's an accumulative of about three and a half years of your life. All right. How many uh, current students do I have in here? How does that make you feel to know that you are spending three and a half years of your life in school? All right. Um, I was not a great student. Um, 
I, I, I made it through. This would not have made me happy as a teenager. Now I understand the value of it and I'm thankful for it. Um, but that now leaves you with about 46 years. All right, you've graduated. Time to get a job. For 10 and a half years of your life or 91,000 hours, you will spend working in your lifetime. All right, so now you're down to 35 years. All that time you spend going back and forth to, to your work, to home and all of that. Um, now my assumption is, now there's no numbers here, but my assumption is if you live in town, you're going to spend a full year of your life driving in a car. All right, now uh, commuting back and forth from Chapel Hill to Columbia uh, was only about a 25 mile drive, about 35 minutes. I know that some of you uh, possibly commute an hour to an hour and a half, maybe even two, uh, one way. And so obviously you may be spending anywhere from two to three years of your life in a car. Um, then we go on, we spend about two and a half years brushing our teeth, sitting on the toilet, showering, and getting ready to do all the things that we're going to do in our, in our, in our day. All right? Um, some of us, again, might spend more time in front of the mirror than others. Uh, whereas some of us, I remember in college, man, you jump out of the bed, you flop your hair to the side, and you go to class, whatever. All right? Uh, you are now going to spend four years of your life eating and drinking uh, to, uh, for sustenance. Now, I'm a good with that Okay, I like to eat for if if I could, uh, man, if I, if I could eat day after day just nonstop, I'd spend ten hours, uh, ten years of my life doing that. But that's four years. You're going to spend about uh, two and a half years shopping, making grocery runs on Amazon.com, getting all of the things to uh, to keep your family happy and to make sure that you've got what you need to live. So now you're down to 25 years left. All right. Uh, five of those years, uh, it kind of scrolled on up, but five of those years are going to be spent doing chores, yard work, um, whatever you've got to do around the house to keep that going. And so now you're down um, to taking care of your loved ones. You're going to spend about a year and a half doing that. Now, that sounds really low, but you, if you think about it, your kids are off to school in the morning, right? You don't see them until 3 or 4, sometimes 5 o'clock. Once they get to be a teenager and they're playing sports or whatever, you're going to bed at some point that night uh, or you're not getting home from the office or whatever. So if you think about it, one and a half years caring for kids or loved ones probably is pretty accurate. Now this is where um, I think we've got we've to put on the brakes and, and pay attention to what's going on. Okay, All of this stuff so far seems to be a normal part of our day. Would you agree? I mean, you get up in the morning, you got to get ready, you got to go to work, you got to do all these things uh, that we would call life. But you're down to 18 years, and here's where it gets real. You've got 18 years left, and nine of them, if you're not careful, could be spent on Facebook, playing video games, watching TV, movies, whatever. All right, now I would say that for our teenagers, that's probably more the case right now than for some of the others, but... Uh, you know, maybe for some of us who are older, we might throw in their books or magazines. Um, you know, I know that uh, sometimes we've got to watch our soap operas, whatever it is that we've been watching for years and years and years, okay? But the point being is that we spend nine years doing these things that some might call a waste, some might call a hobby, whatever the case is, 
That's where I want us to pay attention for a minute and talk a little bit more about the balancing act. So, after all that's said and done, you get to own nine years of your life. That's not spent taking care of others, going to school, working, uh, whatever else. You've got nine years that you just get to say, okay, I've got to figure out what I'm going to do with this. And so the question is, what are you going to do with the nine years of your life? Now, obviously, we understand that time doesn't work this way. You know, our, our, our eating is not compartmentalized into four years of our life. It's something that we do each and every day. But when you start to think about really how little time you have, you start paying attention to the value of time, right? You start paying a little bit more attention to what you're doing and, and the things that you're spending time doing. All of a sudden, that video game, um, if, I'm, if I end up wasting nine years of my life on video games, um, I would hope that, that maybe we would think to ourselves, maybe that's not so important as I thought it was, or, or whatever it is. We, you know, we sit down at the end of the day and we go to Facebook, and, and I'm not against keeping up with people and, and spending times in relationships or whatever, uh, but I know that a lot of times I'll get online, might check Facebook, and then I just start browsing you know, eBay for all the things that I think I need to buy or whatever, uh, or Craigslist, and all of a sudden I've spent an hour and a half looking at stuff that I don't need um, and probably don't even want anyways, okay? What are you going to do with your life? Well, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, we are challenged to balance our time, all right? I want to read it again, and then I want us to to understand two quick things before we go into the rest of our lesson. I want to read it again, and I want you to pay attention to what Paul says about time. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, I want you to keep that phrase in mind. Making the most of your time. What's that going to mean to us? Well, I think there's two things we need to understand as we get started. First of all, when you go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and I want you to flip over there with me. You know this uh, passage. It's the famous passage uh, where there is a time, there is a season for everything. Uh, you know, you've got all of the, you've got everything that, uh, that is set before us, a time to give birth, a time to die. That's all through verses 1 through 10. But I want you to look at what it says in verse 11. And I want us to understand why this is so important. God, verse 11, has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their hearts. Yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. Simply put, God created time. God makes time happen. God owns time. Well, why is that important? Because if I start thinking about the time that I have, really it's more like the time that has been given me. And one of the great things that the Bible talks about and puts so much emphasis on is stewardship. A word that simply means, what am I going to do? How am I going to faithfully use what God has given me, what someone else has entrusted to me? I want us to remember up front as we go through this lesson that time is not mine. Time belongs to God. And as I'm sitting here thinking that and saying it out loud, it is hitting me square between the eyes. That the time that I spend wasting on on frivolous things, things that really don't matter uh, when it all is said and done, uh, that have no eternal value whatsoever, all of a sudden, 
um, I realize that I'm, I'm wasting what God has given me. Now, let me just say up front, all right, there's a lot of things, and I believe that part of what you see in the book of Ecclesiastes is that God placed us here, and God set us in time in such a way that we do get to enjoy certain things. Would you agree with that? That God gave us a life to enjoy life, okay? Um, we enjoy our children. Um, if you're blessed in your job, you enjoy the work that you do, all right? Uh, you know, we enjoy entertainment. That's just something that comes natural to mankind, right? But I think we still have to be careful that we don't, that, that we don't allow our time and the things that we give to be out of balance. That's where I think the key comes in. When we realize that what God has given me is His, now all of a sudden, it's not that I don't spend time enjoying certain things or certain aspects, it's that I'm just a lot more mindful of how I am using that time. I'm not going to waste it, but I'm going to be more careful with it. Here's the second thing I want us to understand up front, that time is now. I mean, that's it. What God has given you is what you have. You don't get to turn back time. You don't, get to, you don't get to travel back in time. There's no such thing as a time machine. What you have is what, you, is, is, what is here now. So what are you going to do with it? I want you to look down in verse 17. And I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man. Now look at this. For, every, for there is a time for every matter and for every deed. Now I want you to think about that. How often do we use the phrase, well, I just ran out of time? Or how often do I use the phrase, I didn't have time? Or how often do I say to myself, well, I'll do this later. I'll spend time with God later. I'll spend time with my children later. I'll spend time evangelizing later. I'll figure it out later. I'll do this later. And then the next thing you know, later has come and gone also. And we think to ourselves, man, I ran out of time, right? But look again at what God says in His Word. God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man because there is a time for every matter and every deed. In other words, what God is saying is, you get to choose. I get to choose how I'm going to spend my time. But it also means I'm going to be judged based on my choices. How I spent my time. Now that is eye-opening, is it not? That really strikes us deep because, again, we start thinking about all the ways that maybe we waste time or we haven't been faithful in balancing our time and, and it kind of hurts a little bit. It kind of stings. You know, honestly, I'm sitting here putting this lesson together, getting ready for tonight, and I'm looking back over uh, all the time uh, that I wasted this week not in God's Word or not uh, doing what I needed to do with my family or my children or whatever else. There is a time for everything that needs to be done the question is whether or not we decide or choose to do it. Period. That's it. So now we go back to our text. Now we go back to Ephesians chapter 5. And it's time for us uh, to get real. The first thing I want you to notice in Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 17, is what Paul says in verse, uh, in verse 15, where he says, first of all, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as the wise. You back up in chapter 5 to verse 1, and what's the very first thing he says there? Be imitators of God, right? 
Be imitators of God. Now, I don't want to back up in any lessons that you've already had. I don't want to, I don't want to take material from anybody else that's already spoke, uh, spoken or who's, who's going to come after me uh, because I know you guys are working your way through this, right? But I also want us to make sure that we understand what's going on here. Uh, that that when, when Paul says, be imitators of God, not only is he going to tell us how to do it, but he's going to tell us why it's so important. And so then in verse 15, when we, get to verse, uh, when, he, when we get to verse 15, he says, be careful how you walk. Why? Because you're either imitating God or you're not. You're either walking like Christ or you're not. Be imitators of God, not as unwise men, but as those who are wise. There's a man in the Bible who began to kind of uh, come to the front of my mind as, as we... Uh, as I was studying for this, I even asked my interns, we're sitting in the office studying, I said, who comes to your mind as we're reading about this? Someone who was, who was faithful in their time. And, uh, and the person that just kind of kept jumping out to me was, was the man Noah. What I want us to do for the rest of our time is I want us to pay attention not only to what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, but I want Noah's life to illustrate this passage for us as we look at what he did with his time. So now if you will go over to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. We're not going to go all the way through everything that happened with the flood. But I do want us to pay attention to some of what stands out to us in Noah's life because of who he was and because of how he spent his time. In Genesis chapter 6, when you open up to chapter 6, the very first line there is in verse 1, it came about when the men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them. Simply put, the earth is filling up with people. It's what God wanted for Adam and Eve to do was to be fruitful and multiply. He wanted mankind to thrive and to grow up. Unfortunately, what begins to happen is mankind is not only growing in numbers, but they're growing away from God. That's not what God intended for His people. And so what happens is God looks down it, verses two through um, two through five, it talks about the wickedness, the wickedness that they were involved in, and then we see in verse six, and the Lord was sorry that He had made man on earth. He was grieved in his heart, and the Lord said, "I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them." But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Noah found favor in the eyes of God. These are the records of the generations of Noah. And Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Now think about Ephesians 5 verse 15. Walk not as the what? Unwise, but as the wise. What is it that set Noah apart as this man who was able to balance his time? Who was able to be faithful to God and to be a good steward? Well, in a world full of of, I guess you could say, not full of wisdom, in a world where wickedness was rampant, where evil was being chosen left and right, where uh, men and women were living the way they wanted to live in spite of how God wanted them to live, all of a sudden we have a man named Noah who stands out above all. Walk as wise, not as unwise. And it says that Noah not only walked with God, but was blameless in his time. There was no man greater than Noah in the way that he spent his life, in the way that he used up his life, than this man Noah. I want you to go to Proverbs chapter 3 with me. Proverbs chapter 3. And I want you to look at, uh, 
uh, this idea of wisdom, this idea of being wise. And this is going to be Solomon talking to his son and, and trying to get his son to understand that there are certain things you need to pay attention to, certain things you need to set aside. Wisdom is such a big deal in the book of Proverbs, obviously. But look at what Solomon says about wisdom and how it helps us live. My son, verse 1, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write, on them, uh, write them on the tablet of your, of your heart so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Pay attention to some of the, the, the definitions of wisdom. I see words like peace. I see words like kindness and truth. I see the idea of obedience there. That what Solomon was passing on to his son to help him live better are things that his son needed to obey to have a better life. Verse, uh, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Think back to Genesis chapter 6. How many of those uh, sons uh, and daughters thought they were doing what they needed to do when in reality it was simply uh, ruckus and rebellious behavior? Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe His reproof. For whom the Lord loves, He reproves. What does it mean to walk as the wise walk, not as the unwise? It means to pay attention to how God wants us to live. Simply put, Simply put, you want to balance your time. You want to, you want to make the most of your time be obedient to God's Word. Now obviously that means we've got to spend time in God's Word, doesn't it? It means we've got to pay attention to the words that are being read to us. The words that are written on these pages as from the very mouth of God Himself. That's the difference between being unwise and wise. And I firmly believe with all my heart, whether there was a written word or not, Noah was more concerned about what God was telling him in, in his life than what was going on around him. It was the difference between the wise and the unwise. Talk about balancing your time. Simply walk as wise. Look for wisdom that comes from God. Look for wisdom. Pay attention uh, to those who you love, who are trying to help you live. I see a lot of different ages in this room. I see a lot of wisdom on the one hand, and I see a lot of us who need wisdom. And for those of us who need wisdom, I would encourage you, listen to those who are giving wisdom, who are extending wisdom, who are helping you understand, not only understand the Word of God, but how it applies to your, to your life. Pay attention. To those of you who, li who have lived longer, I would beg you and plead to you, don't be quiet. Share your wisdom. You know, we, we tend to talk about a generation gap when we think about the different ministries in the church. And we have a golden age or a senior saints ministry. We have a youth ministry. We have a children's ministry. And oftentimes we talk about these generation gaps and, and we never figure out how to get those together. But I'm going to tell you what. There don't need to be generation gaps in the church. Do you agree with that? There cannot be generation gaps in the church if we're going to be the church that Christ bought with His blood. Because I need you to teach me. 
And then what you have taught me, I need to pass on to others. So if I'm going to walk in wisdom, I need you to help me out. And then for those of us who have wisdom, as we've learned it, as we've lived, we need to pass it along. Walk in wisdom. Help the next generation. But Noah was a man who found favor in the eyes of the Lord, who was blameless, and who walked with God. He walked with God. Walk not as the wise, but as, I'm sorry, not as the unwise, but as the wise. The second thing we do is we go back to chapter 6, uh, sorry, Ephesians 5, verse 16. We read where it says, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Making the most of your time. That phrase is interesting there. Does anybody have a footnote in your Bible there? That's an interesting phrase, making the most of, because the actual word there uh, could be in your mar- or could be written in as redeeming the time. Well, what is the idea of redemption or redeeming something? One of the ways I try to, to help my, my teenagers understand these difficult words in the Bible, like justification, redemption, reconciliation, uh, you know, grace, as small of a word as it, as it is, it's sometimes difficult to understand. But one of the ways that I try to help them understand the idea of redemption is by also bringing in reconciliation. The reconciliation would mean that we are uh, brought back to God. Redeemed means we have been bought back by God. And so you've got these two R words that help us understand God's desire to bring us back. In other words, the idea of redemption means that God was willing to pay something to buy me back. Now think about how that applies to what Paul is saying here. Redeeming, making the most of, buying back the time than God, that God has given you. In other words, how are you spending your time? What are you doing to make the most of your time? And again, look at what he says in verse 16, because the days are evil. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. I don't know exactly what it was like at Noah's, in Noah's time, but I have a feeling that it was pretty similar circumstances where God's people were surrounded by Satan's people, by worldly people, where God's people were doing everything they could, namely Noah, to live the way that God wanted him to live, but surrounded by wickedness and evil in this world. Paul says, redeem, buy back, spend wisely the time that God has given you. Why? Because the days are evil. And so we go back to Genesis chapter 6, and we begin in verse 10. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. The days are evil. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50. And its height, 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to, the, uh, to a cubit from the top and set the door of the ark in the side of it. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, even I am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life. From under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark. You and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you, and of every living thing of the flesh, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark, 
to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds after their kind and of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind. Two of every kind shall come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take yourself some of all food which is edible, gather it to yourself, and it shall be for food for you and for them. And so Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. What are you doing to buy back the time that God has given you? What did Noah do to buy back the time that was given him? From what we can tell, if you go back in chapter 5, we realize that Noah comes onto the scene when he's about 500 years old. All right? If we speculate there that God came to Noah about at, when he was about 500, then we go to chapter uh, 7 and we realize that God caused it to rain when Noah was about 600 years old. If those numbers are correct then that means that God gave Noah 100 years to build the ark. 100 grueling years to build a boat that nobody understands, that everybody laughs at, that people who are living in their way and living the way they want to live, not according to God's Word, are literally walking by, mocking Him, ridiculing Him, picking on Him, and telling Him how worthless the job that He's doing is... And then Noah says, but you don't understand, a flood is coming. And they look at him and they say, a what? Because up to that time, you remember what the Bible says about the water? The only water they had seen was either what was in the lakes and the rivers and the ocean, or that which came from the dew of the ground in the morning and the evening. They had never seen rain before. And here Noah is building a monstrous boat to deal with the rain that nobody understands. Does that sound something like a Christian's life? that we have the message of salvation in the midst of a crooked and wicked and perverse world in which we're looking at people and wanting people to understand that there is a judgment day, that there is one of these days when the Savior will come down and they say, a what? You know, the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, the Lord. Who? And we say, you need to understand that one of these days something is going to happen if you don't pay attention to what God wants you to pay attention to. And people in their, in their own wisdom, being unwise, look at us, and they ridicule us, they laugh at us, they refuse to understand. But I want you to know that what I read in the pages of God's Word, the greatest act or the greatest way that we could ever spend the time that God has given us is by fulfilling the will of God, by doing what He's called us to do. And so we go to number three, and I want you to understand this. What does that look like? It looks like building with purpose. Why was Noah building an ark? Why was Noah building a boat that nobody would understand? So that God could save the world. You know, oftentimes we look at this, this story of Noah, and I want you to hear me very carefully here, because I'm not discounting it, and I'm not saying that it's not a great story or lesson of obedience. But how often have we talked about the, the story of Noah and the ark that he built and how important obedience is, but forgotten why he was being obedient. For the salvation of mankind. That's why he was building a boat. He wasn't building a boat because God told him to. He was building a boat because God told him to, so that God could save the earth. Could save mankind on earth. When we talk about spending time that God is giving us, being obedient to His will, it helps sometimes to know that there's a purpose behind it, doesn't it? You know, one of the things I used to hate hearing growing up, and now I understand as a parent why my, why my parents said it. 
but is when, when I would say, why? My parents would tell me to do something, and I would say, why? And you know what they would say? Because I said so. That doesn't make a lick of sense, and it's not fair at all, right? It helps when we understand. You know, maybe I didn't, you know, maybe I wasn't mature enough to understand all the reasons behind uh, my parents, you know, expecting something of me or demanding my obedience. Maybe I wasn't mature enough. Uh, but now I understand that there are times when maybe the purpose behind the request helps me in my obedience. When my parents tell me there's a curfew, whether I like it or not, but it's for my safety. By the way, I remember I was eight minutes late for my curfew. Why? Because my mom said so. Well, I was eight minutes late, and she thinks I'm dead in a ditch somewhere, okay? I didn't understand that until I had kids of my own. Would you agree with that statement? That all of a sudden, now I have kids of my own. And you know what? There are times when I just need my children to be obedient, when I just need them to do what I've asked them to do. But there's also times when I know that their understanding would give them greater reason to be obedient to what I've asked them to be obedient about. God tells Noah to build an ark, but he doesn't just say it's for your good, or he doesn't just say, well, because I just need you to be busy for a hundred years. He tells Noah that destruction is coming, it's fixing to happen, I want to save mankind. Now, I think it's so beautiful that in the midst of a story of destruction, this is not a story of the pretty paintings that we put up in the uh, you know, in the nurseries, you know, with a boat and a rainbow. Yes, that's beautiful at the end of the story. But in the midst of the story, people are drowning and dying. The world is being destroyed. But God says, even in my destruction, I want to save people. First Peter chapter 3. You know this passage well, probably. Where he talks about in verse 20. Uh, uh, or verse, uh, yeah, verse 20. Who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah... In other words, Peter is even going back to the days of Noah and saying people were about to be destroyed. But what was God's greatest desire? God's greatest desire was patience and he kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. You want to make the best of your time. I want you to think about how you can not only spend it with understanding that there is a great day coming, but I want you to start thinking about how you can build something to change the lives of those around you. What are you doing to build up a faith for God with your co-workers, with your friends, with your spouses, with your children, with your grandchildren, with your siblings? Noah wasn't just building a boat so that everybody could, could marvel and wonder at a boat. He was building a boat. He was building up so that mankind could be saved. The best use of my time is if I were to build with purpose that which is going to make a difference, not just in this life, but in the eternity after. I can make a lives in the difference of people in a classroom. I can teach them about algebra. I can teach them about English. And I know we've got some amazing teachers in this room and in this community who are fantastic teachers when it comes to those things. But I'll tell you what I also love about those teachers, and I know them because I work with them at CA. They're not all about English and algebra or science. They're more about a faith in God. And let me tell you something. When you teach algebra in correlation to a faith in God, now you've got something, right? Now all of a sudden there's a difference. You're building up the minds 
of children, but you're helping them understand that there's more to life than what's on this page or what's in this book. So let's, let's go on real quick. How do we build with purpose? Well, if it's our husbands and wives, we encourage one another. And I'm just going to speed through this. Uh, sometimes we're not really good at, at encouraging the way that we ought to encourage. Um, I'll be the first to tell you, you get home from a, from a long day, a rough day, or whatever it may be, and you just want to kind of be off to yourself. You don't want to talk, or you're grumpy, or whatever. Let's work on encouraging each other, building up each other. Let's be sure to be praying with and for one another as husbands and wives. What about as fathers and mothers? Let's make sure that we pay attention to what is most important as we are building up our children in their faith. Hey, I want my daughter to be the star uh, basketball player on her team one of these days because I love basketball. But I also know that if she decides to put the basketball down one day and set her shoes on the shelf, she can still go to heaven. That's most important to me. How are we making sure that we build up a faith in the lives of our children and not, not being inundated and distracted and uh, have, have misplaced focus on everything else around us? We've got to make sure we're paying attention to that. What, uh, how about as children? How as children are we making the most of our time? Are we building with purpose? Hey, listen, if you've got a brother or sister at home, I know sometimes they can be nerve-wracking, they can be annoying. I know sometimes you want nothing more than just to slap them across the back of the head. I did that a few times. I'm not proud of it, okay? But then there's also times that I look back on and wish that I hadn't taken part in what I did with my siblings. Instead, I wish I'd encouraged them, lifted them up, prayed for them, sat down and read the Bible with them. If you have a brother or sister at home with you, do that. Do that. Don't get so frustrated about how they annoy you or whatever that, you're, that you just don't want to spend any time with them. If you're the oldest sibling, I'll tell you something. They may never tell you, but your younger siblings look up to you, whether, whether you know it or not or whether they'll ever admit it. But there's also something else that comes with that. Um, I look up to my younger brothers and sisters because of the people that they've grown into. Spend time building one another up as children. As children, you have a great opportunity with, in school right now with your teammates. Spend time encouraging, building up, praying for, teaching Scripture to people. You've got one of the greatest fields, wherever you are in school right now, you've got one of the greatest fields for evangelism. Build up to an eternity, not to a trophy in a trophy case uh, for the district, regional, or state championship. There are more important things. Employers, employees, think about how you can build up uh, those people who work with you or for you or, or, or whose bosses you are. And the list can go on and on and on. You know, we could go literally through the entire Bible and find Scripture after Scripture after Scripture that deal with this. We don't have time for that tonight. But you know what it takes to lift people up, to build people up, and that's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to close with this, though. And then one last passage as we come to a close. I got to looking at... How, what does the internet say about balancing your time? Whatever's written on the internet is true, okay? We understand that, right? But I did find this at WebMD.com, okay, because I have no idea if real doctors write this stuff or not, but I did find this that I thought was interesting. How to balance your time. Here are five ways to bring a little bit more balance to your daily routine. Build downtime into your schedule. Drop activities that sap your time or energy. Rethink your errands. Get moving. And number five, remember that a little relaxation goes a long way. But then I asked, got to asking myself, well, how would that apply to us as Christians? 
And in the light of what we looked, looked at with the life of Noah, what would Noah have said about a list like this? And here's what I came up with. Number one, build God time into your schedule. Why was Noah blameless? Why was he wise? Uh, why was he considered uh, or favored with the Lord? Because he spent time with God. This is not one of those areas in our lives where we, where we have the right or, or feel like or need to feel like we can just keep putting it off and get to it later knowing that later may never happen or it's just blown by us, right? We cannot thrive with God if we don't spend time with God. Here's number two. Drop activities that take away from your effectiveness. What is your purpose? When you go back to what we were talking about in the life of Noah, how are you spending time uh, not only in wisdom and understanding of what is to come, but with purpose? How are you making sure that your energy is spent so that you are effective? Okay, if I stay up all night watching movies on Netflix, and I love watching movies, but if I stay up so late at night watching movies so that the next day I wake up and I'm useless to talk to people or I'm in a bad mood and don't look for opportunities to spread the love of God with joy in my life, then I'm not being effective and I'm not living and spending the time the way God has called me to live and spend time. And i got to be real with myself there, don't I? What matters most? Number three, rethink your purpose. What is your purpose? God has placed you here to make a difference in the lives of those around you. Number four, get to work. Get to work. If you've ever been an active person, and I know that, that it's probably, you know, at different stages of our lives, but I remember going to my grandmother's house, and we'd, we'd take turns growing up in the summer, going to my grand, grandmother's house for three or four days a week at a time. And I remember after about the third day of just chilling on the couch, you know, eating ice cream and, and pizzas, I mean, because, man, she would... She would lay out the spread for us. But I remember, man, I started feeling sick and nasty and bad, and I was like, I, I just don't, Mima, I don't know what's wrong. She said, you need to go play ball. So I literally walked across uh, the half-mile town of Big Sandy and played ball for three hours and realized that I'd never felt better in my life. You know what? Sometimes to find the energy we need to spend the time uh, we need uh, being, being effective for the Lord, we just need to get to work. Spend the energy. Do what's got to be done, but get to work. And then number five, remember that a little reevaluation goes a long way. This is where we're just real with ourselves. We look in the mirror and we say, am I spending time the way God wants me to spend time, or am I wasting it? Now again, I'm not telling us to drop the things we enjoy, the things we love. I'm not saying that, that it's not okay for us to be involved in sports or school or job or to try to do the best we can in all of these areas in life. But here's what I want us to be challenged with as we close. In Colossians, well, I left the, the verse out, but in Colossians chapter 3, I want you to go over there, and this is going to be our last passage as we round out the night. In Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 3, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Now, I didn't read verses 1 or 2, but that's the part where it talks about for those of us who are alive in Christ and set, or, set your mind on things above. But it's this idea of making sure that everything that we do is all about Christ. But that phrase in verse 4 hit me a few years ago. When Christ, who is our life. That hit me a few years ago because I'd always tried to teach the idea of priorities when it comes to faith. And this is, if we don't remember anything else tonight, when it comes to the idea of a balancing act and what God wants for us, this is it. If you don't remember anything else, I want you to remember this. You've, you've seen the illustration before where you've got two, two buckets, right? 
And you start, start by filling it up, filling up one bucket with sand and then the golf balls and, and then the baseballs and then you got the big softball at the end, right? And, and you put it, you try to put it in the container, but it doesn't fit because everything else was already, uh, was already filled up. All the space was already taken. And that softball, the biggest ball that you can try to put in your bucket is supposed to represent God. And so then you've got the second bucket, and what you do first is you put in the softball because it's God. You put Him in as your priority, right? And then you start filling in all the other things around it, and all of a sudden it fits perfectly, right? I was reading this verse one day, and all of a sudden I realized that even that illustration is flawed. The softball and the things that we put into our bucket, or whatever it is, is not that which is supposed to represent God. It's the bucket that's supposed to represent God. You see, God doesn't want to be one thing in your bucket. God doesn't want to be first place in our lives. He wants to be our lives. Did you see that? When Christ who is our life. Now all of a sudden I start thinking about balancing my time. And, and man, I've got to run here and I've got to run there. And I've got this to do. And I've got to figure out how to get my kids from here and there. And work and job and sports and practice and everything else. And plays and all this stuff. And if God just ends up being a a separate entity, then I'm going to tell you something, nothing else is ever going to come together the way it's supposed to come together. But if all of those entities are wrapped up in God, who is my life, you see how that works? Now all of a sudden, life gets more balanced. It might be hectic, but I'm at peace because Christ is, is my life. Things may not be working out, but I'm at peace because Christ is my life. Hey, you know what? It may not fit into the schedule, but if Christ is my life, then that which is non-eternal doesn't really matter to my schedule anymore. Do you see how this happens? Do you see how it works? God is no longer a softball or a line item at the top of our priority list. He is our life. And there's a difference. You want to talk about balancing your time. You think about what Paul said in Ephesians chapter, 15, uh, chapter 5 and couple that with Colossians 3. Walking is unwise. Spending your time with understanding of what is to come, what it's all about. Making sure that we understand that we are building up with purpose. Why? Because Christ is our life. Until Christ is our life, we will not find balance. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for blessing us with this night of Bible study. Thank you for allowing us to come together um, on a night in the middle of the week when things are hectic and crazy, um, and for letting us just uh, sit at the feet uh, of your throne, listening to your words spoken to us through the Bible. God, we thank you for reminding us time and time again what is most important. God, help us to not uh, try to balance our time or try to, try to figure out how to make things fit if you're not in it. God, I would pray that, that if we're trying to make things fit and you're not in our lives, that you would make them not work out so that we would come to understand and realize the need for you in our lives so much more than anything else we think we need to have on our plate and our busy schedules. God, help us to be your people. We thank you for the example of Noah. Help us to walk as he walked. Help us to work hard daily. Help us to build with purpose as we strive to make a difference in the lives of those around us. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ who has redeemed us. We thank you for his time on this earth. We thank you for his time spent uh, making us perfect. And we look forward to being with you one day. It's in his name we pray. Amen.